Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law. Greening Law, of course, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. They'll fight that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been awaiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy, Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, dog? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 305, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained, and we'll go from there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is annoying. (laughs) This is why we have got to get more sponsors, because we got to buy Jacques some new equipment. (laughs) I mean, that's just the reality of where we're at, my friend. I guess, bro. I mean, so what what a special weird. day this has been. Yeah, we've been trying to get this this microphone on my end to work right for I would say, let me see, I think I called you two forty eight. So for the last eleven minutes. Yeah, and and trying to get something. I mean, who knows? It's just it's but the now, reality of what it is. But now I think it's right, and I was just being funny because I knew Matt needed a laugh. <laughs> well, that's good news then. We do have a lot to discuss. Todd Archer is going to join us. We got some wild ass stories around the block. We start looking at the Cowboys again, of course, and a big trade for the Dallas Cowboys trying to shore up their run defense a little bit, but we can't get started without Greening Law and Greening Law, as many of you know, uh, personal injury attorney, the green team. If you have been hurt in a car accident, if you've experienced malpractice from a physician, Injured on the premises of a business, you need to give them a call. They've represented all sorts of clients. The good news is the consultation is free. I've told you guys about this. They really focus on you doing what you can to get your health back and your mental health back while they handle all the headaches and crap behind the scenes. Dude, Matt's told you that if you're involved in any kind of accident, and it doesn't matter whether it's with an 18-wheeler or the residence, grocery store, anything, Pick up the phone and give our friends a grinning law call because the consultation is free. Did y'all hear that? F-R-E-E. Free. And, hey, all you do is say, hey, here's my situation. Here's my details. What do you think? They bring on as a client, man. It's your lucky day because you got somebody who can walk you through the process. I say they have a flashlight for you. They show you where to go down the path. They hold your hand. They make sure that through this kind of intimidating, kind of complicated process, you feel good. Indeed you do, and it's easy. It's 972-934-8900. Again, consultation is free, and they only get paid if you get compensated. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. 
In Dallas, Texas, of course, the Cowboys getting ready for the Chicago Bears at noon on Sunday. And then they will move on into their bye week after this game coming up. But they made a trade. And Jerry told us after the game on Sunday said that they weren't going to make any type of trade unless there was a Deion Sanders type player out there. I don't know if Jonathan Hankins would qualify quite as that, but the Dallas Cowboys sending a sixth round pick in the 2023 NFL draft to the Las Vegas Raiders in exchange for Jonathan Hankins, who's a defensive tackle and a 2024 seventh round pick. And this is interesting because I'm sure many people are familiar with that name. OH. Yes, there you go. He also, of course, played for the New York Giants as a second round pick when he first came (laughs) into the league. But he's kind of bounced around the last couple of years. He's 30 years old, but he is beef. He's 6'3", 340 pounds. He is a guy who can play in your base down packages, who's going to be on the field for first and second down and run situations, and you get him off the field. He can eat a lot of space, and that, at this point in his career especially, he is still very good at. I think he's 6'3", 340. He's your classic uh, one-technique, nose guard kind of guy. Space fillers, Matt said. And uh, it's a move for them. You know, they had Ridgeway, who they drafted in the fifth round out of Arkansas to kind of fill the role. They got rid of him uh, in part because they didn't protect him. He got signed to Mm -hmm. uh, Washington's practice squad way back in September. Well, um, as the season goes on, you're seeing – you know what I like about this move, man? This is not a sexy move. This is not a move that that, uh, elicits a lot of headlines. This is a move – where Dan Quinn looks at his defense and says, damn, we're really balling. Yeah. What is what what one or two little pieces could we add that would really help us, you know, become, you know, maybe a top two, top three defense, not just a top five unit, or maybe the top unit overall. What can we do? You know what? There's a fat boy out there. Be a great run stopper. Let's see if we can get him. And voila, there you have it. And so individually, nobody really cares about Jonathan Hankins, but you add him to the mix that you have, and it fills a need, especially with them Chicago Bears and they run they running sales coming to town. Yeah, and this is a guy, again, this is not some dude who's just going to take over and dominate defensively. I would expect that he's 25, maybe 30 snaps a game playing on the early downs. But it fits, and if Dan Quinn is looking around and says, this is the type of guy that I want, based on what Dan Quinn has done in a year and a half with the Cowboys' defense, I'm going out and getting Dan Quinn what he asked for. Oh, ain't no doubt about that, bro. I think it's a a really good situation, and I think that's what the best coaches and the best teams do. It's always about shuffling your 53. How can I get the best 53 on my roster at any one time? And so you're always changing out 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, always looking for a better player, a a need, a specific need. And uh, that's what they did. And like you said, man, Dan Quinn's got all kind of uh, credit with us right now. He does indeed. And so that was the big move for the Cowboys. The other news, and this was coming after that game, he had surgery on Monday, Jordan Lewis, Somehow, someway, the Liz Frank injury on that interception that he had on Sunday against the Lions, he had surgery, as I just mentioned, on Monday. He is done for the season. That's a big loss, man. That That is a loss for this Cowboys defense and this Cowboys secondary. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's been playing really good. Uh, the only good thing is Deron Bland played good in the Limited time we saw him earlier this season when he filled in for Jordan Lewis. Uh, Bland also had a really good training camp. And so if you got to replace him, that would mean, I mean, that would seem to me to be a guy who you feel at least a little comfortable about doing 
The thing I like about Jordan Lewis, which is underappreciated his first two or three years in Dallas, that dude is a little bitty guy. He's probably 5'8". He get mad at me. 170, 175, because he wants to be 185 so bad. But He's you know not. how that goes. But that dude got big ones, bro. And he reminds me, and we may have even talked about this one time, because he's a good dude, even though he went to Michigan. He's one of my favorite dudes on the Cowboys to just sit around and talk to. Um, and some coach I was with one time said at a youth game when all these big dudes came out for the other team, he said, oh, I never look at the big dudes uh, in youth football. It's the little dudes you got to worry about because those are the ones you know are tough and nasty because they're playing with all these big old dudes. Uh, and so that, to me, always kind of embodied Jordan Lewis because uh, he's a playmaker, dog. Uh, he gives us some plays now, but he'll go make a play for you. And what he did the other day was a, a sensational uh, interception. Yeah, and Dan Quinn said today about Jordan Lewis, it's easy to sometimes say the coach's cliche is the next man up, but there's a dude behind that injury, too. We're going to miss him. We love him. That's a hard one for us to deal with, but we certainly will. The words of Dan Quinn about Jordan Lewis and the Cowboys, of course, and, and I don't know what you expect from a guy like this, and, and we'll have Tart Archer on a little bit later on in the podcast and, and get the latest from all of this, but they went out and picked up a practice squad guy for their cornerback position as well, potentially as, you know, they just need bodies. They need somebody. Somebody's got to come in here and they need people. So they're trying to go out and make some moves today to, at the end of the day, get better. OH. He's another Buckeye. <laughs> are, you, are you waiting for me to say IO? I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come I on, mean, join the program. God, I mean, if man. you say, if you say go cats, I say eat them up. I All mean, right. Okay. I got you. Uh, no, who's that? Kendall Sheffield? Yeah, Kendall uh, Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was, he's been with Atlanta the last couple of years. He started his career at Oklahoma and then, uh, no, he started his career at Alabama. And then transferred to Ohio State and played a couple years uh, before getting drafted in the fourth round. Um, started a couple years with the Falcons, so he's familiar with Dan Quinn and uh, the system that they're running. And so it shouldn't take him long uh, if they want to move him up to, uh, to add him. Uh, throughout his career, as much as I follow, because I haven't really followed him since he left Ohio State, he was really a really super-duper fast guy yeah. who was still learning the technical aspect of playing corner. But uh, I think it was a – I don't know. He's close to being a five-star when he came out of high school. I don't know what he ended up being. But he was a really good player uh, when he went to college. Pretty, I think he was just solid in college. But uh, he's a fantastic athlete, and that's why he got to look. Yeah, so he will. we'll see what comes of him. But that's the latest. And, again, Todd Archer is going to join us. We'll get his thoughts on the moves the Cowboys are making and, and everything else that's going on as they prepare for the Chicago Bears. And this is a Bears team who comes in, probably surprised a lot of people, certainly surprised me. This was a Bears team that had not scored more than 23 points in a game this year. Lo and behold, Bill Belichick's defense and the New England Patriots were the elixir for what was ailing them offensively. They put up 33 points on New England on Monday Night Football ran for 243 yards. And this is a Chicago Bears team that basically has 100 yards or more rushing in six of their seven games. Minnesota held them to 78. San Francisco held them to 99. They have over 200 yards rushing in three of their games against Washington, now New England, and Houston. This is a Bears team 
that is very capable. They can do it with their quarterback in Justin Fields. They can do it in David Montgomery, who's kind of like the Zeke of their team. And they can do it with Khalil Herbert, who would be kind of comparable to the Tony Pollard of their team. They got three different guys who can run the ball three different ways, and they all have that type of ability to break big plays. Bro, I told y'all this is a let – me, let me say two things about this game, Matt. Number one is I told you I didn't think the Bears could win, but they had the defense that could create real real problems for the yeah. Cowboys. Uh, to me, if I'm gonna keep it real with you, dog, the best thing that happened is they beat the hell out the Patriots because you take a look at that tape and it won't be oh these the Bears they suck we should have an easy night. Um, they're a problem. They're a team that if you play your best and they play their best, you're going to win. But them turnovers and stuff, you help them out with dumb penalties and you can't stop the run, you'll be in there for an all-day issue, man, because their defense is not going to let, especially this offense, score that many points. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and again, you look at the way that they can do it, and they almost have a situation with Bears fans, kind of like the Cowboys do here with Zeke and Pollard, where everybody looks at Khalil Herbert, who's a second-year player, albeit a six-round pick out of Virginia Tech, but he's been more explosive. And he is averaging, I, I, I mean, his average per carry is 6.2, and David Montgomery's at four, but Montgomery's that guy that they give more of the carries to. He eats it up. He goes between the tackles. He is the guy that gets a lot of that physicality going. But it's really interesting because you look at this, David Montgomery, 77 attempts, Herbert, 75, Justin Herbert, 68, or Justin Fields, excuse me, 68. Herbert, or God, why do I keep saying Herbert? Justin Fields, <laughs> the freaking OH quarterback, Thank you, thank you. Runs it almost as much as their running backs run it. And look, not all of that is by design, but they do design a lot of stuff for Justin Fields to take advantage of his ability with his feet. No, and you have to respect that, and you better respect that. And I think uh, the other thing about it is they've now embraced the fact that he's a runner. And right now in his career, he's a better runner than he is passer. And so they've embraced that. And like you said with Jalen Hurts, they've made it a part of their offense and it's part that you have to deal with. Um, and so that's what really makes them hard to play against because their defense is really good. And so they keep the games close. And then, um, you know, they, they see if their running game can grind it out, keep it close, and win it at the end. Uh, but if you cannot stop the run, which is one reason why they went out and the Cowboys went out and got Hankins this week, because, I mean, you don't need a lot of time studying the playbook, dog. Hey, get your fat butt in there, hold the center up, and clog things up. Uh, but you have no chance if you can't stop the run. What do they need to do, Matt? Obviously, see if they can get up early and force them to throw the ball, in which case it'll be all, you know, it'll be a long day for the Bears. Yeah, and, and, and again, this is there's a reason why this Bears team has not been good. And obviously, they have been hoping that Justin Fields will turn out and they got to get him some help. But this is a weird, a weird Bears team. You look at this Bears team and you go all the way back their last 10 years in the draft. They have two players from the first round in the last 10 years that are still on the team. Now, part of this is because they did not have a first-round pick in 2023 or 2022, and they did not have first-round picks in 2020 or 2019, but, man, they have busted. They drafted Justin Fields in 21. He's still on the team, and Roquan Smith in 2018, who's been pretty solid for them. But you go back to that, Mitchell Trubisky, Leonard Floyd, Kevin White, Kyle Fuller, and Kyle Long, all those players going all the way back, no longer with the team as first-round picks, and they've had too many misses 
in the first round and too many misses in the draft, which is why you've got a quarterback in Justin Fields that has nobody to throw to. <laughs> no, that's a problem. Plus, Doug, I was just looking up, man. How many quarterbacks, okay? This is this is a Matt, M- Matt M- M- McLaren trivia question. All right. <laughs> How many Bears quarterbacks uh, since 1970 have started more than uh, four consecutive seasons? Wow, man. Since 1970? Yeah. I'm thinking, I can't remember when the Cutler trade went down, but Cutler would be in my mind. So one, I, you know what? And then Cutler is one. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think, I don't know that it was McMahon. I would say McMahon, but I don't know that he was four seasons. Okay. Is that your uh, final answer? Yeah. I'm going to say two. One. Jay Cutler. Cutler. (laughs) Wow. Like, like uh, now they've had a couple get to four. That's why I said more than four. Rex Grossman played in a Super Bowl. Come on. No, nah, man, McMahon played four, then he missed a year, and then he started two more. So that's okay. kind of a little okay. bit of a trick. But outside of that, bro, they've had a bunch of guys with three, a bunch of guys with three, a bunch of guys with two. Uh, they haven't had any, any fours, man. Cutler's the guy. And, and, again, that tells you it's just so incredibly hard to win without a quarterback, man, because I said 70, but the Bears have really sucked outside of that brief Super Bowl run that they had. <clears throat> where two or three years in a row they were they were they were really outstanding, but outside of that, bro, they haven't done anything. Yeah, and they and they haven't. Is, they ain't got no quarterback. Right, they haven't had a quarterback, and they haven't had anybody. I mean, they have not had an explosive wide receiver. You know, Allen Robinson obviously was there for a bit and was solid, but they haven't been able to draft anybody and develop them. Darnell Mooney is the guy who leads them right now at wide receiver. He was a fifth round pick. Equanimous St. Brown they brought in in free agency. Dante Pettis was a free agent guy. And then Cole Komet at tight end. Cole Komet's good. But he was a second-round pick at tight end from a couple of years ago. They they just don't have enough. You know, and they went out and got Velas Jones Jr. out of Tennessee in the draft this year in the third round. And I liked that because that dude's kind of like a poor, I mean a very poor man's Debo Samuel, but that type of guy right. who can do some of those types of things. But he's been injured a lot this year and just started – finally got back in the lineup I think within the last month they just don't have anything on offense that scares you other than the fact that they've got these three running backs that can and, and part of that being Justin Fields and his unpredictability is is difficult to defend no I mean that's all it is and you know how I like to say it he's the kind of guy who can make big plays out of chaos and um you know when you got somebody who can do that then that's uh that's that's what you're looking for, especially with a young guy who's not making a lot of uh, not 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 being very accurate in the passing game, doesn't have a lot of help outside. So they ask him to run and make big plays, and then you know they struggled. I don't really count the Daniel um, what's his name Daniel Jones game against uh, the Giants. Mm. Uh, he's running a lot more on purpose now than he was when he played the Cowboys. He gained a yard of against the Cowboys because he's running for his life, and that's that's fine. Uh, Jalen Hurts hurt him with some design runs, but even though they managed to keep him in control, so they have an idea of how to play this type of quarterback. It'll be interesting to see what approach they take this week. Yeah, it will be. It's going to be very interesting, and and this is a game. I mean, after seeing what they were able to do to New England last night, and I, I don't know how much I'm buying in New England, but it does kind of get you to raise your eyebrows a little bit and go, okay, all right, I I, I see you, Chicago. Maybe you're maybe you got a little bit more something than I thought. 
I am Plus curious. They did that thing on the road too, bro. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they they traveled and they got it done, man. And and you look at this again. These are two teams that are going to want to run the ball and run the ball a lot. These are two of the top running teams in the NFL. Chicago is the top. Chicago leads the NFL in run offense at 181 yards a game. So there's something to be said for that. The flip side of that is, you know, Dallas and Chicago both, as good as Chicago has been running the football, their defense is bottom four in run defense. So... The Cowboys have not been exactly a wall against the run, but they haven't been as porous as Chicago has been against the run. The only teams worse than Chicago are Detroit and Houston against the run. Interesting. Interesting. Because their defense seems to me to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they, they've given up some gobs, man. When you look at it, they gave up 262 to the Giants, 203 to the Packers, 176 to the 49ers. Hell, Washington ran for 128 on them. Well... I guess that's why I wrote this column about the uh, tandem today. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, man. Also, another thing about this, whether it's fumbles or picks thrown by Justin Fields, they have at least one turnover in every single game so far this year. And currently, after seven games of the season, again, a 3-14 and is probably isn't that surprising. They have 11 turnovers. And this is a Dallas defense that just had five against Detroit and has been hot in the last couple of weeks taking the ball away. So... Yeah, I was going to say, because they didn't take it away much the first four weeks. But no. now, uh, you know, because they only had five going into last week. Now they're, I think, second or third in the NFL in turnovers. Uh, yeah, and, and so you look at that. I mean, you also have to mention this, this Bears defense did have four takeaways against the Patriots. So protect the ball, man. This is going to be an interesting one, I think, coming up on Sunday at noon there at AT&T Stadium. We'll see. But – I don't know. It's it's a weird NFL season. We keep talking about that. And you look at Chicago at three and four, and I mean, who knows? It's not like I didn't think they'd be any good, but you look at their division, you look at the rest of the NFC. I don't know, man. Who knows with these guys? I did want to ask you because last week you said that you had received some inside information on Justin Fields. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I thought thought we talked about it, but I thought about it when I was – watching some of them play last night uh the thing about it was i was was talking to a scout about justin fields who i ran into at jackson state and i was like yo 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 uh once i figured out you know we're talking i put two i was like oh yeah you're in the nfc north let me ask you about justin fields what do you think and uh this guy was like oh he's gonna be fine if you know basically he was like he's got a lot of potential and he should be fine but you know, with young quarterbacks, you never know. I go, well, what makes you think he's going to be fine? He said, oh, from the people I talked to with the Bears, he's very, very self-aware of himself. He's one of the hardest workers on the team. He's always trying to improve. He watches a lot of tape. He wants to be the best that he can be, which is always a good place to start when you are a, when you're a young quarterback. Uh, secondly, he was like, they just haven't given him a whole lot of weapons to work with, man. And so, you know, he said, when you don't have weapons, it's just hard because you don't have a lot of options when you drop back. And plus, he's still learning, you know, to read defenses and and coverages at the NFL level. Uh, Because in college, like a lot of quarterbacks who come out now, the head coach in the sideline does almost everything for you. And you, you really don't have to do a whole lot. He said, so he's catching up on that. He said, but he's got all the arm talent you need. He's a fantastic athlete. He's a good person. He has a real chance for success. They just got to hope that, uh, you know, he doesn't get 
I used the word. I said, you mean punch drunk like a few quarterbacks have been? He said, well, yeah, kind of, sort of, like that before they, yeah. they figure out, you know, with the coaching staff or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense, man. I mean, that's we – and again, but we've talked about that, and that's part of the reason is there are certain franchises for whatever reason – when you are a quarterback and you get drafted by them, it, it just doesn't work. And, it, and sometimes you wonder, is it the kid's fault or is it because they never put anything correct around him? He spends his four years there, then they pick up his fifth-year option, and then by that time, you don't know what you've got, and the franchise wasted five years, and another franchise doesn't want to do it already five years in his career because they want to start over with the rookie. Yeah, you have it's And when you look at... Um, and I'm all, you know, you can you can make any kind of argument that you want to make about it and and it's and it would be okay. Uh but when you're talking about, you know, quarterbacks, man, and how you develop and all this other stuff, it's just I mean, a lot of it's that crapshoot, bro. It is. It is that crapshoot, but the reality of it is is as it relates to fields and this week, he's been sacked twenty seven times so far in seven games. He is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL through seven games. And now he gets to go up against this Cowboys pass rush that's sacking people left and right like they're bored. So I would imagine you got multiple sacks coming on Sunday against Justin Fields. You start getting under pressure like that. Next thing you know, you feel hurried. You throw it away a couple of times. He's prone to throw some picks. I mean, he's already thrown six this season, so... We'll see. We'll see. But at the Cowboys, and who knows, maybe Hankins comes in and, and they're better against the run. I know we're going to dive into it a little bit more as the week progresses, but you should win this game. You're, you're better than Chicago and you're at home. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, didn't, I don't want there to be any doubt about that you should win. Um, I think that they're obviously the better team. But it's that classic case of we thought they should beat the Lions and we're sitting no, here true. at the start of the fourth quarter. What was it, six to six or six to three, and we're yeah. like, or ten to six, and we're like, so this is ten to six, and I think I told you with about eight minutes left, I'm like, they haven't separated. Yeah, man, the giant, the Lions might just go down here and win this thing, thirteen ten. Yeah, and so you know, <laughs> you know, that's if we're gonna be honest. And so you know, their way, and what I like to say all the time, I see ways where the Bears win the game. I don't think they will, and they shouldn't. But if you don't bring your 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 top of the line A or B plus game, as my boy says, there's going to be some sad singing and some slow walking off the field. That's very true. And if you find yourself in that situation, one thing that'll perk you up a little bit is probably a bag of bruised biltong. You just crack that bad boy open, man. It, it's bruised biltong. B r u s b i l t o n g. If you haven't tried this yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. You got to jump online. You get 15% off when you order it with the promo code JAM15. If you like beef jerky, you will absolutely love Bruce Biltong. It's fantastic. It's savory. It's tender. It's, it, it's just such a damn good snack. Dude, I mean, I like it. Not only is it savory and tender and it doesn't get stuck in your teeth and all that. You don't need a toothpick when you're done. I like it, man, because it's got 230 calories in a two-ounce pouch, and it's got 30 grams of protein. If you're trying to watch your weight, which y'all know I, I'm forever doing that, uh, this is some great stuff, bro. It is some great stuff, and it's online. It's bruisebiltong.com. We continue to be the only podcast. You guys have gotten so much support and have been doing it with him, which helps us, of course. We're still the only podcast that he's ever worked with. 
Steve, the owner of Bruce Biltong, such a good guy. And if you're a new listener to the podcast, you should go back and try and find the episode. We had him on, I want to say maybe sometime in July or August, where we talked to Steve, the owner of Bruce Biltong. He used to be a rocket scientist. He used to work yeah. on the SpaceX stuff. And he quit that to focus full time on launching this new business called Bruce Biltong. So check it out, man. He's a good dude. And we always appreciate the support at bruisebiltong.com. Also, of course, the podcast brought to you by JR and his guys over there at Freeway Tire Shop, where Jacques knows if you were looking for that mechanic you can trust, if you want to drop your car off somewhere and drive away knowing that you've had work you can trust at a fair price, Freeway Tire Shop is the answer. Now, I don't think there's any doubt about it, man. JR learned his uh, management style from uh, Home Depot because he was in their management program. Then he opened up his own business, bro, and he rocks, man. I, I love him because you can trust him. Uh, Y'all know I got a bunch of cars. I take them all over there. I've got, yeah, all but uh, one of them's paid off, so don't worry about that. Uh, but, uh, man, I take them over there because uh, I trust him to diagnose any issue I have. And then this is a easy, a sneaky one, man. I trust him to use quality parts to fix it because not everybody does. Uh, then I trust him, man, to charge me a fair price, and I trust him to stand behind his work. You can't really ask for anything more from a mechanic. Uh, he's like a doctor to me, except he's doing your car instead of your heart. And uh, I rock with him. Five uh, minutes north of downtown, right off of 35 in Commonwealth. Stop by. Whatever you need, oil change, uh, what do you call it, S inspection sticker. Yeah. Any kind of work from engine to brakes, it doesn't really matter. You can send us a thank you card later because you'll be just fantastically grateful that you went there. You can request a quote online or schedule an appointment, freewaytireshop.com. So let's take this trip around the block here because I came across this story today, and at first I'm like, no, this is fake. Then you think, what happened? Like, what? The headline... Missing grandma's body found in monster python that swallowed her whole. And I'm sitting here going, what in that? What? So you sit here and you read the story. And this obviously could only happen in another part of the world, you would imagine. This is in Indonesia. The, the victim was had apparently gone out to collect rubber from a plantation and failed to return. Her husband searched the area but only found her sandals, her jacket, her headscarf, and her knife. He then went and got a search party the next day, and they came across a 22-foot python that had a massively swollen midsection where Jeez. it had obviously eaten something large. There is a video of them pinning the python down as they cut open the stomach revealing the body of the missing woman dude i couldn't watch the video i don't even know I, this is now they estimate obviously i mean it's not like she was just walking along and the snake just like dropped down and swallowed her they they believe that it bit her and then wrapped itself around her to suffocate her and then after she obviously suffocated and was crushed because she couldn't breathe it just ate her <laughs> you can't say it's so basic, bro. I mean, how in the hell do you eat a human being if you're a snake? That's unbelievable. I was impressed. Uh, I don't know, probably about a month ago, I looked at a video. Okay, judge me if you must. Of a snake, a python that ate like a full-size goat. And I was just like, this is, I don't know how you get your mouth dead. Why? Yeah, man. I mean, this is, 
it's just it's unfathomable to think that this that that is the way that you would go. I also think that's just an awful way to go. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, again, she would have been dead before the snake. Well, I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, maybe she just passed out and the snake thought she was dead. Yeah, but I just mean the whole while you, you know, the reality that this snake is crushing me and I can't get out. The terrifying nature of that. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, you're. It would just be. It's just. It's a. I again, you just it feels like the story's fake and it's real. And apparently that the 22-foot python is not even a record for this village. They have spotted a 27-foot python before, and they tried to capture it, but it escaped. And officials are worried that bigger snakes exist, even in the 27-foot python. I mean, you got to think, if you're a 22, 27-foot snake, you probably could eat a human being whole. Yeah, and ain't nobody bothering you, so you're going to live a long life. I mean, good Once you get to that size. I don't even know if that registers. You know, like if I'm out and about and I see like a water moccasin or a rattlesnake or something, that freaks me out. I don't like seeing a 22 foot python. I don't even like, I don't know if I could, my brain would process that. <laughs> oh, mine would process it and I'd be running so fast the other way. It wouldn't even be fun. <laughs> I mean, good God. And then, of course, you run the other way and 20 feet later, you run into the head. Wow. And I it's like, I that. tricked you. Wow. <laughs> God. You just got to make sure you run the right way because that's terrible. Yeah, man. I mean, just any being eaten by anything would just be like getting eaten by a shark or a bear. Did like, did you see the story of those wrestlers, those kids that fought off a bear attack? I, I forget where it was. And talking about how he, he could hear the, the bear trying to crunch through his head. <laughs> no. And they survived it. And that was, you know, that was one of those things where, you know, we forget this. Like when we're in nature yeah i mean these animals they, i don't think that they necessarily are trying to eat you or do anything of that nature yeah this was in wyoming this happened a couple about 10 days ago wrestlers fight off a grizzly bear with their bare hands mm, i wonder how, how did they do that i mean how nuts is this it says that these are two sophomores so 20 21 year old dudes they were wrapping up a day of hunting for antlers with wrestling teammates they heard the bear coming, and the next thing you know, the bear was mauling his friend. They tried shouting at it, but it did not work. So the other wrestler leaped in and grabbed the bear. Oh, my God. He said he had read about what to do in a bear attack. He said there wasn't time to think, so he just played dead. He goes, I remember curling up. I mean, this is unbelievable. And apparently they got on the, on the grizzly bear's back and like punching it in the ears and stuff, trying to get it to let go of their friend. Right, right, right. I, I mean, mean, my I just God. Read. Now, why did I read something the other day that said just that? I was reading about, uh, don't ask me why, I just stumbled across it, that the two primary bears in, in the United States are the black bear and the grizzly bear. Yeah. And uh, against a black bear, you're supposed to try to fight back. And against a grizzly bear, you're supposed to play dead. Yeah, because I guess if you if you play dead, it's bored. But if you try to fight back, it's like, ha ha, I can destroy this thing. Exactly. I got to be honest with you, man. If I ever saw a grizzly bear in the wild, the next thing I would be doing is is changing my pants. Oh, I was going to say, because, you know, their thing is they run like 30 miles an hour. Yeah, you can't they're outrun so it. Much faster. Yeah, they're so much faster than you think. And don't forget, they can climb trees, so that's not an option. I mean, bears are yeah. some, you know, they're up the food chain now. 
Yeah, you don't want to mess with the grizzly bear, man. That I mean, it, you, it, like what I'm yeah, like, they ain't nah. got no whole lot of predators. Like, ain't nobody like, oh, let me go get a grizzly bear today. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on the on the grizzly bear attack. That's for damn sure. Golly, apparently, also in Wyoming last week, a Wyoming hunter accidentally shot himself while trying to fend off a grizzly bear. Jeez. Okay, so what to- I'm getting for this is don't go to Wyoming. Well, yeah, or uh, you know, have some uh, have some quality bear spray with you. I guess so, man. I mean, holy crap, dude! This is insane. So, one study found that fifty-four people were killed by black bears between nineteen sixty and two thousand and nine, and since nineteen seventy-nine in Yellowstone National Park alone, forty-four people have been attacked by grizzly bears. Yeah, don't get off the trail, bro, and be aware while you're out there. Don't have your head, your earbuds on. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, you want to make sure that you have your bear spray. Bears don't like surprises. Holy crap, dude. I mean, I'm just, what do I do? Oh, I would just, that's it. I'm out. I'm down. <laughs> I mean, think about this. Like, to your point, Usain Bolt can run, like, for 100 meters at 28 miles an hour. And these bears are faster than that. Yeah, I mean, bears are the real deal, bro. Like I said, they don't have a lot of uh, predators. Unbelievable, dude. Yeah, and you were exactly right. Apparently, for brown bears, play dead. Lie on the ground, cover your neck, and remain still. For black bears, do not play dead. Walk away slowly to a car or building, or if that's not possible, fight and focus your blows on the bear's face. Yeah. Oh, how about this? They, they give us a little mantra to remember if you ever find yourself in this situation. So everybody just remember this. And you say we don't teach you things here on Jam Session. Remember this for the rest of your life. If the bear is black, fight back. If the bear is brown, lie down. <laughs> okay. There you go. It's like with the snake. If it's red and black, it'll bring you back. If it's red and yellow, it'll kill a fellow. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you never heard that one before, I guess, huh? Nah, bro. That's awesome. Nah. All right, so the other thing here is you texted me the other day, and I just started laughing my ass off because you sent and you highlighted this all-time record. You got eight hours and 42 minutes of sleep, and when you sent that at first, I was like, no way this is from you. <laughs> Well, remember I told when we got off the air, I told Matt that I'd done something I'd never done before, and uh, y'all, most of y'all know by now that I'm an early riser, you know, four thirty, four forty-five. But uh, when I got back from Jack, I had to come back to Dallas this weekend. So uh, when I got done with Jackson State's game the other day, I was literally exhausted because uh, they're long days, and the thing that I'm doing is a nonstop move. Uh, it's just a lot of moving parts, and so I got back to my uh, my spot in Jackson. And I was watching TV for a minute, and the next thing I knew, bro, it was like 8.30. So that's like an hour and a half. And I was it was like I was drunk. It was like I opened up my eyes, I closed them again. The next thing I knew, it was midnight. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, I woke up, and I was watching something, and I was like, you know, I'm kind of awake. I just got through sleeping for six hours, so or five and a half hours was like a normal night for me. I feel I'm not doing anything. I should just go to Dallas right now. And so I did. I drove straight through. And the thing is, I stayed up when I got here all day long. So I had been up close to 24 hours and felt like. 
Um, but dude, I went to sleep and <laughs> I slept pretty much straight through. <laughs> and when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is almost nine hours. Matt will never believe it. Uh, let me send it to him. Which is, I mean, seeing that, yeah, I don't believe it. I mean, it, it's in, I, you can't process it because, I mean, we've talked about this before and you've shown me your sleep before. And the, the amount of sleep that you get on average to me is just mind boggling. <laughs> like if I look at my sleep hours. Yeah. Cause mine right now. And again, this is only three days of data for this week, six hours and 39 minutes. Last week it was seven forty four. the week before that six fifty six. but I'm usually right around seven and I've seen your sleep before. And I'm like, I mean, how are you, how do you function? Um, I don't know, bro, because I'm not, I don't, it's, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm serious. Um, I'm just a person who doesn't need a lot because, uh, like, I'm not tired during the day. I used to take naps, but I haven't had to take naps anyway. Uh, I think a lot of it is just because, unreal, is because I work out typically six days a week if, 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 yeah. you know, in a, in a normal week and I eat pretty good most of the time. And I think the combination of working out, and eating pretty good, which means you're getting vegetables and protein and stuff in your body on a regular basis, means I don't necessarily need a lot of sleep per se. Yeah, I guess so, man. I mean, see, that's just a theory, though. It could be. I don't know. I mean, like for me, like I'm always like I at a certain point in the evening, I'll get so tired, like I'll fall asleep on the couch or I'll fall asleep reading all the time. And I like because of the way that I work out and like it just gets to a point where I'm just exhausted. And my body's like, you know. And I sleep like a <laughs> rock. I mean, generally speaking, I can fall asleep and sleep. Like once I'm ready to go to sleep, I can fall asleep and see, sleep soundly, solidly within three minutes of laying down in bed usually. Oh, I can definitely do that. No, I know you can. Jeez, you can fall asleep in <laughs> 10 seconds. Matt see me fall asleep during the show. <laughs> and that, I wasn't exaggerating. Like literally you can fall asleep within, I would guess, 10 to 30 seconds you can fall asleep. <laughs> It's amazing. It is amazing. It's incredible. I mean, you wouldn't believe it unless you've seen it. Like, it sounds fake to say that. This used to happen when we were doing the radio show. Yeah, it'd be more like if I was really tired, I might go to sleep during the break. You would. You for sure would. Like, I'd look up and, like, we wouldn't say anything, like, right after I'd take my headphones off and I'd look to tell you something and you'd be asleep. I'm like, my God, we were just on the air 30 seconds ago. But those six minutes, man, would revive me and I'd keep on going. <laughs> God, that was something else. I mean, it's almost to the point where I, I would, I used to think that you were faking it. And then I was like, no way. Like he's, he's asleep. Like he is legit asleep right now. Uh, when I was a columnist at the morning news, uh, there were times I would just be so, uh, you know, cause I've changed. That's what I mean. Like I'm not, I don't get sleepy during the day anymore. Yeah. I would, uh, I would turn off the lights in my office cause I was fortunate enough to have an office. I'd turn off the lights in my office crawl up under my desk and go to sleep for about 20 or 30 minutes. And then once I woke up, I'd be fantastic. I'd be great because I became a nap taker. Yeah, man. I mean, it's something else. I mean, I've, it's because I used to not be a person like I would. And even now, like I'll usually I read for 30 minutes or so every night. But there are multiple times where she'll come to the to the bed because she, she'll like I'm like, hey, I got to go in bed. I'm tired. I'm going to read for a bit. She's like, OK. And she'll come wake me up in bed. My iPad's just right on my chest. And my glasses are still on my face. I'm just dead asleep. <laughs> She's like, put your mask on. I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, I got you. Oh, but it's good times, man. I'll tell you that. I can also tell you it's what isn't a good time. And, and, and that's anytime you run into foundation issues. And somebody go, how the heck do I know if I have a foundation problem? Well, one, 
you can give HFX Foundation Solutions a call. They're local, family-owned. They service the entire DFW North Texas area. I mean, these are good guys. Aaron and his crew are going to get you taken care of. But you can also look for signs to know if you potentially might have a problem. Those are things like cracks and sticking doors, sloped floors, or soil washout because your property's not draining correctly around the home. And HFX Foundation Solutions takes care of all of that. They not only are a full-service foundation repair company, but they also handle drainage issues and gutter installations as well. So if you've got a question, I would just encourage you to give them a call and have them come out for that free, no-obligation inspection to see if there is something wrong. Oh, no. that's You need to do that, man. That needs to be one of the first things you do is pick up the phone, call HFX Aaron and his team over there at 817-770-0174. Say, hey, I need a colonoscopy for the crib. And everybody don't know exactly what you're talking about, which is, hey, come check me out. Make sure I'm all good. That thing doesn't cost you anything. Um, and here's the deal. If you find something, you'll be like, oh, my God, we found it early. Uh, and it'll cost you a fraction of what it costs if you find it late. Uh, give Aaron a call over there at HFX Foundation Solutions and let them give you the peace of mind that every homeowner wants and needs. It's 817-770-0174. Again, 817-770-0174. Or find them online at hfxfoundation.com. Let's check in with Todd Archer, our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter. And the big news today as we record this on Tuesday, Todd, the Cowboys made a trade. They have acquired Jonathan Hankins from Las Vegas in exchange for a draft pick. What's your take on this trade and, and what do you know about Hankins, if anything? That's a loaded question because you can look at it from a couple of ways, but I'll look at it from the way of they recognize the deficiency that they had on their defense. And then went out and did something about it by getting a big-bodied veteran guy that should help them against the run. I think five of their seven games, they've allowed more than 117 yards on the ground. They have Chicago coming up this week. They got the Giants coming up. They got Philly again. They got Jacksonville. And then there's games against Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor and Dalvin Cook on the schedule. Um, so they were proactive about going out and, and getting something. Now they, they gave up a sixth, got a seventh back in the player in Hankins. So, not a huge, um, not a huge deal to, to what you gave up to get him. But let's go back to a couple of weeks ago when they released John Ridgway, their fifth round pick, who eventually was claimed by Washington. Like it tells me that they didn't really think Ridgway was ready or, or was going to be much of a factor, or that they made a mistake in getting rid of him. Um, but I, I, I like to move because it's not very much of what you're giving up, and it's not very much against the cap. It's like 720000 bucks this year for the rest of the season for this guy. And, again, 340-pound dude. Biggest guy they have on their team right now. Bohanna was 330. You After that, it's Carlos Watkins, 305. I mean, you know, it's just they needed some, some size in the middle to help their defense. Well, let's just stay down at Rio. What do you think about their defense? No touchdowns against Detroit. And it uh, seemed like they're starting to make more and more plays while, while guys like Sam Williams start to come along. Yeah, I think they're kind of overrated. You know, I mean, you, you let up six points against Detroit. I mean, the week for the game before, they didn't score eight points. So, I mean, what are they doing? No. Um, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I would love to have seen you guys' faces. I was saying that to <laughs> see if you were picking up on the sarcasm. To, to me, you know, Micah gets all the hype with this defense, right? And deservedly so. He makes some great plays um, and, and is their, their, their star player. Uh, on defense 
But to me, it's so much more than Micah. And it's really so much more than Demarcus Lawrence and Trayvon Diggs. Like, you can point to every guy on the defense and kind of come up with a play that that guy has made this year that has been a key at a key moment. And I don't know that they've had that in the 20 years I've been covering them. Um, I, I'm fairly certain that they've not had that in the 20 years that I've been covering them. But, you know, like Donovan Wilson had a big sack last week, has had some big moments in big games. Malik Hooker at an interception. Jaron Chris, maybe we're still waiting for him to do some of the things that he did last year. But Jordan Lewis, big pick, unfortunately broke his foot and is out for the year. Um, you know, Anthony Brown has had good moments. Vander Esch has had good moments. Storm Armstrong has already surpassed his career total in sacks. Odigazu has done a, done a nice job on the interior. Bohanna, Sam Williams, Tristan Hill even, Dante Fowler even, Anthony Barr. So you see where I'm getting at, right? Deron Bland, the one game he has to play, comes in and gets a pick. Um, so th- that's a credit to not just Dan Quinn, but I think all of the coaches on that defensive side of the ball that they're getting their guys ready to play whether they have to play or not. And when they do play, they're, they're doing some stuff. And it's not just reliant on – one or two guys to carry the ship. As you mentioned, the injury to Jordan Lewis, where he'll be out for the year, who will be the next man up in, in trying to fulfill that role for the Cowboys? Well, Jerome Bland will be the guy, that, their fifth-round pick out of Fresno, had the interception early in the year. Remember when he took over for, for Jordan in the Cincinnati game, he found out like 45 minutes before the game that Jordan's growing tight up, couldn't go. So he goes in there and he makes some plays, has a pick, I think the next week against Washington. But – They've liked to, when when we saw him in training camp, he was a guy that you kept kind of kept saying, "All right, is he is he making plays because it's going against the the back end guys, or is he a guy that's just always in the right spot?" And they they found a guy that's kind of always in the right spot, a big bigger corner, you know, that that they like, and and is a guy that can handle the, the slot work. And if that doesn't work out, then you can move. Anthony Brown inside, and you can put Kelvin Joseph outside, or maybe that's another with the trade deadline coming up. Maybe that's a spot that they they look for some help. But Jordan Lewis is a bigger loss than Cowboys fans want to believe. And when coaches come out and say some of the stuff that that like Dan Quinn and Mike McCarthy has said about how this is a keystone player in the team and a uh, one of the leaders that you you don't talk about much, and you know, and, and Quinn is calling him a dude, and, and you know, and a uh, just a badass, and all these things. That shows you what the coaches and what the team and what the locker room thinks of them. They're going to miss Jordan Lewis. Um, that's not an easy spot to play. And he did a really good job the last couple of years that he's had to play there. And this is a serious, serious, I'm going to put another serious, serious injury that he's had that will take a long, long time for him to come back from. And that leads us to boss man Fett. What's his role? He got any role other side of the special teams? Well, we'll see, right? I mean, he better be ready because, look, if one of the outside guys goes goes down, he's the guy. Um, you lose Diggs, you lose Anthony Brown, or if plan doesn't work out, he has to be ready. He's done a nice job on special teams, but they don't draft a guy in the second round to be a good player on special teams. That's supposed to be your sixth-round guy that you draft. They say, oh, hey, he's doing a good job on special teams, or even your undrafted guy. Um I can't tell you what, what he is as a corner because I've not seen him play. Um, you know, he he went in for a couple snaps in a, a couple of games earlier this year, played well in his one start that they gave him, I thought, up in Philly last year. Um, but there, there's 
there's still a whole bunch of questions about the guy and coaches say all the right things about him and what he obviously had his deal this summer that drew a lot of attention and maybe ire for the, of this franchise and maybe more so the, the fan base. But if they have to call him on defense, to me, it's a wait and see. You just don't know. We go back to the game on Sunday. Dak's back, and he okay, I suppose, what we got from Dak. What was your take on Dak Prescott's yeah. start again? Okay. Yeah, I think you hit on it right. Like, in the second half, what was he, 10 of 11? So, I, I think you saw a guy get much more comfortable as the game wore on. And it, I don't know if there was, a like, an aha moment for him. And maybe it was the pass to CD down the scene that he forced it. Uh, over the linebacker between the safety and probably should have been picked. Maybe it was the double move to, to Noah Brown that he kind of forced, but it seemed to like kind of flip the switch where it said, hey, what am I doing here? Let's just go back to when, within the confines of how this team is winning and play smart and keep it simple and don't get too complicated. And, you know, they're going to need Dak to play better and they're going to need Dak to throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns and win a game here at some point just because law of averages, that's going to tell you what to do. But I thought he was okay. Um, for And it's funny, I, who was – I forget who I was. was. I think it might have been Mac Jones or – no. Maybe another quarterback that missed the – oh, Tua. Tua was talking about, you know, when you miss the time that I miss, you know, it takes a while to get that timing back. Tua missed two weeks. Zach missed five. So as much as you want to say you just pick up where you left off and everything's good and fine and dandy – I think there is an element of getting your game time back to understanding everything that's going forward. I, I think Dak will be better as, they, as he gets more time and gets more comfortable into the into game action and getting into a routine of the week again. Well, that, that goes to this. Um, and I wrote a piece about this today, which is kind of like, hey, can we stop worrying about whether Zeke or Pollard's got more carries and just worry about what the tandem is doing? Because it seems to me like, in general, the tandem's doing pretty good. I think uh, they've had yeah. one of them's had 80 yards in four of the last five games. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny. I did a ESPN radio after the, I think it was after the game, and they're talking about, you know, shouldn't Pollard get more work? And I was just like, why? Like, what's wrong with what they got going on right now? It seems to be working really well. And to me, Tony Pollard never in his entire life has been a 20-carry-a-game guy. Now, I guess I should apologize. I'm not going back to his days in Memphis High School to know if he carried it 20 times. But in meaningful Division One football and into the NFL, he has never been a 20-carry-a-game guy. I don't know if he's going to be able to withstand that going forward. So, what's been so bad about the Cowboys run game that you want to say, yeah, they got to get Zeke off the field. I think Zeke's having a really good season. Um, and, and, you know, right now they're on pace, I think, for almost 2,000 yards combined between them. Keep going. Now, I will say, I don't know this yet, but I think Zeke got through that game on adrenaline with his knee. I'm curious to see how he's feeling Wednesday and what we see him do Wednesday, Thursday in practice to if he will be – playing uh, a significant role Sunday against Chicago. I, I think that's something that bears watching with the hit that he took on his knee. Yeah, that was a pretty nasty one, man. On the replay of that one, it looked like he got hyperextended to me and the way he walked off, and then he didn't miss any time. So like you're saying, maybe it was the adrenaline, but I was kind of surprised by that too because it looked a lot worse than at least the immediate outcome would lead you to believe. If his knee was planted in the ground when he took that shot, oh, his yeah. season's done. Yeah. Right? I mean, there, there's no question about it. And it looked bad even when his leg was in midair. So 
Um, but we know that Zeke is a tough, 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 I'll add another tough, tough guy. Um, <laughs> probably the toughest on the team in, in some respects. We know what he played through last year with a, with a grade two tear of his PCL in his right knee from week five on. Um, so it's going to take a lot for him to get out of the lineup, but I, I do wonder if the Cowboys look at it as two ways. There's the buy after this one, so then you get a week to rest them up. Or if you gave him two weeks now, this week and then the bye week going into Chicago, uh, going into Green Bay, if that's a better case. I, I think they'll, they'll weigh all those things out. But if he's playing, he's playing, and he'll, he'll be effective. I don't know how, if he'll be as effective as he's been, but I, I, I'm in the, I'm, I'm crawling against the waves here when it comes to, to Zeke. He's still your best running back. He's still the lead dog, in, in my view, and he's having a terrific season. I was saying he's having a pretty good year. Um, you know, I mean, because I've seen, like, I thought that the run where he hurdles the guy was one of his best runs in two or three years. And then even that touchdown he scored on, like, 14 yards ago, a week or two ago, that showed vision, speed, acceleration. Uh, so I was like, you know, he's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's. I mean, he had 80 yards against that, that, that front. I mean, he's uh, not a lot of carries. So they're running the ball well. And, look, Zeke's a bring-your-own-blocker kind of guy anyway. So, he's you know, he's knocking it. The days of everybody saying, well, where's the Zeke from 2016 when he breaks these 30, 40, 50-yard runs or have a 60-yard screenplay? That's done. But it doesn't mean he can't be an effective part of your offense. And I get it. We all just want to look at the contract and say, well, you're paying him $15 million a year. Just get over that. that that's that's gone. That that you can't do anything about that issue uh, right now. So just live with the fact that he's a really good player, one of your best players, and you need him to be effective. And you know, if if you miss him this week in Chicago, heck, I was watching that game last night. I'm like, huh, might be a little different game Sunday at AT and T Stadium <laughs> than, than than I originally thought, bro. Yeah, we were, for real. we were talking about that. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, and Chicago's been able to run on multiple teams and they do it, you know, and really with three different guys doing it three different ways. But we we're going to ask you about that. What, what do you expect with Chicago coming in, their ability to run? Obviously, the Cowboys trying to address that run defense a little bit with the Hankins trade. How do you see it on Sunday? Yeah, I wonder if Hankins is really going to be able to play. I mean, yeah. I know he's in shape and look, if he's going to play, he's going to play. 20 snaps. So, I mean, and he's a veteran, so I think maybe he can be uh, ready to go. But to me, the difference in the – and I'm not considering to tell you I've watched a bunch of Chicago, although we have seen them on national TV. We've seen too much of them in Denver uh, early in the season. But it was more design stuff for field than just him running around, scrambling and running. So, you know, I thought the Cowboys actually did a good job against Jalen Hurts when they faced that kind of – teamed up run for the quarterback uh, against Philadelphia. So maybe they'll have a plan for that, obviously. But um, I thought watching that game last night was an evidence that the Patriots couldn't tackle anybody and they don't really have a lot of team speed where the Cowboys are generally a good tackling team, Philadelphia game aside, a good tackling team and obviously a very fast defense. So, you know, I, I, I still think the Cowboys will be favored for a good reason in this one. Um, but I think it, it raises some eyebrows when you go to New England and you win by 19 points that I'm sure there were some coaches saying, okay, this isn't a bad thing for our guys to see this. And maybe it'll get their attention more than us just talking about it. Bro, 
I said the same thing to Matt. Like, well, they should look at that tape and not take them for granted. Just because they ran for 243 yards, they're the kind of team that if they can shorten the game, they can certainly steal it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, we always talk about, like, the Cowboys have a game that they lose where you're like, man, how the heck did they lose that one? And we thought that might have been the Detroit game, right? Yeah. But And then once they get past Detroit, you're like, well, I guess it could be the Chicago game. And now when Chicago pulls that off, you're thinking, okay, this this should be an eye-opener when they put on the film. If you're the Cowboys coaches, just put on that film and show them what they did against the Belichick coach defense where they ran for 200 and whatever yards against them. And, and you know that your weakness is run defense. So that should have got the Cowboys' attention pretty good last night where they were walking at. Yeah, you would hope so. All right, Todd Archer, as always, man, we appreciate the time. That's it? We're done? No. Nothing else? <laughs> what else you want to get into? I mean, Juventus is out of the World Cup. I mean, it's what, Champions what, League. What did Juventus do that they win today? No, they're out. Oh, ooh. Man, wow. Well, see, I knew that. I knew that get him excited. Chelsea won, though, right? Yeah, I haven't seen Chelsea score yet. Enough soccer talk. Uh, <laughs> well, we got the World Cup coming. We got the World Cup coming up. We'll, we'll talk about that here. Yeah, that'll be exciting. That'll be fun. Looking there forward to that. <laughs> I'll watch the World Cup. I mean, I, you, I I think anybody gets behind the World Cup. It's fun to watch. And it's in Qatar, and it'll be you know, think of all the mm-hmm. you got you got Cowboys Thanksgiving the na- next day. I think is it. U.S. England or U.S. They got Wales before that, then England. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's U.S. Be... England. Yeah, you got. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on back to back to back around that time uh, of the year. Well, let me ask you this: uh, You going to take oh, a look at? Uh, are you going to take a look at Jimmy Johnson's new book, Swagger? I have a copy of it. Oh wow! I'm in my office. I already have a copy of it, but now I can't find it. Oh, fancy! Well, I feel uh, it. David Hyde, will be terrific. Re- David Hyde of the uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, Sun Sentinel wrote it. Uh, with Jimmy Johnson, it's uh, Ed Werder talked about it, so it's supposed to be terrific from Jimmy's perspective. Interesting. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll take some shots uh, at Jerry. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at it right now. I found it. Yep. Well, that'd be great. I'll put that uh, on my list. Yeah. Uh, the title is Swagger: Super Bowls, Brass Balls, and Footballs: A Memoir. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that should be good. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the book uh, Jeff Perlman wrote on Bo Jackson, too. That's out, I think. And so I'm going to check that one out. I thought Josh was writing a memoir. No memoir, Josh? Uh, the memoir I could write, y'all ain't really ready for. What would it be titled if you had one? Jean-Jacques Taylor, former fat kid to guns for arms. Yeah, that's no. not bad. That's that would, not bad. That would not, I think it would just, just simply be JJT. Yeah, that's it. Without oh. anything else, just JJT. No. JJT. Yep, I was going to say A Life, but my life is good too. How about Forward written by Michael Johnson. He <laughs> cut Jock's grass as he was a little kid. <laughs> yes, could be. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of options there. There's a lot of options there. <laughs> oh, Please awesome. do. I will. Why? <laughs> it's a factual statement. We're talking to Olympian one by cut Jock's grass. Yes, this is true. That's true. Uh, that is very true. I just I, exchanged I, uh, text messages with. I uh, I exchanged text messages with said Olympian about uh, a couple months ago. Well, listen to the sniff sniff he had there. But you know, wait a minute, hold on. Twenty years of Emmett's record I wrote about today. We're not going to talk about Emmett's record. 
Yeah, let's, oh, have, let's talk about Emmett's record. It'll never be broken. It's an unbreakable record. It'll never be record. broken. Yeah, there, there were two things, well, three things in that story that I thought, that, that I wrote today that I thought were interesting. That he got this tattoo, Emmett doesn't have any tattoos. That's the first tattoo he got with 18355 down his right leg in the Cowboy Star. Really? Yep. When did, uh, when for, did he get, thanks, I got to read that. When did he get this tattoo? Last month. Thanks for, thanks for reading it. I really appreciate the support. Uh, the, the second thing is that one eight three five five add up those numbers, it equals twenty two. That was something that Emmett brought to me. I did. I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Wow, that's wild. Uh, the three current leaders, uh, active rushing leaders, Mark Ingram, Zeke, and, and Derrick Henry, would be like forty three years old, thirty five years old, and thirty four years old if they maintained their current pace that they had entering this season. Uh, to break wow. Emmett's record, we know that's not going to happen. And then the, no. the, the towards the end of the story, I mentioned in, in 2004 when he he finishes last year in, in uh, Arizona, he's in in Jacksonville the Super Bowl. He's at Sawgrass Dolphin, and Gene Parker, his longtime agent, called him up. And he's like, "You sure you want to retire?" He's like, "Why? What do you got?" He's like, "Buffalo wants to sign you. They wanted him to mentor Willis McGahee for for a couple of years." And he finally just said, really? no, nah, I'm done. I don't want to do it. Yeah. So nah, he we knew about Troy Florida. and Philly. Yeah. Yeah, I was so going to say, you can't be from uh, yeah. Pensacola, Gainesville, Dallas, Phoenix, and then go spend a, a winter in Buffalo. You would die. Well, uh, no, and how sounds... about the fact that he won two Super Bowls against them, too, I'm sure. Uh, no, that, that, that sounds fascinating. Part. I'm going uh, to go read that uh, sometime soon. All right, sometime soon. Well, hopefully by next week you'll have a review. <laughs> sometime soon. <laughs> I don't want to lie, but uh, yeah, Fair sometime enough. soon. Sometime soon. Well, you know, I mean, you look at it, man. Everybody who's in the top 16 all-time in rushing, except for two players, are in the Hall of Fame. And you know Frank Gore is going to get in. So third all-time. 15,000 yards. I asked Zeke, I go, is anybody breaking? He's like, no. And if you do break it, you're going to have to bounce a lot, around a lot. And there's just not any coaches now that will have that philosophy to want to run the ball with the way the game is set up. So that's yeah, this uh, thing. That's, a, that's a really cool point right there. What did Adrian Peterson end up with? Fourteen nine eighteen. Damn, he's still four thousand yards shy, and he bounced around as much as he could bounce. Yeah, I mean, well, he, and, and he missed the year, and he missed a long time with that knee in Minnesota before he came back and ran for eighteen hundred yards one year, I think. So yeah, that was the guy Emmett thought would break it. I asked. You remember, like, Walter told Sanders and Emmett that, hey, you're the guys that I think you have the chance to break it. I asked Emmett, who's the guy? He's like, I don't think there are any. <laughs> he, what I think is interesting. So this is the 20th, obviously, anniversary of Emmett holding the record. I want to say Peyton held the record for 18 years. Jim Brown held it for 21 years. Something might be reversed on that. Emmett's going to have this record for at least another, at least another eight years if not more than 10 and likely forever. But I mean, it's just a math equation. I just don't know how anybody's going to come close to this thing. No, I think you're right. Uh, and I think Zeke made the point. I mean, I don't think he's breaking news, but just when you put it like that, it's the game has evolved so much into a passing game and running backs have become so uh, disposable that, you know, um, you'd have to come out at like after your red shirt sophomore year and light it up you know, for five or six or seven years. 
to put yourself in a position so that when your career winds down, you can still do it. It's, right, and, and uh, it's, uh, look at look at all the contracts that these the big time running backs have got here lately. Zeke, McCaffrey, uh, Derrick Henry, they've all signed these big deals, and none of them have continued on that same pace. So you know, teams are like saying, "Why are we going to do this?" And, and I'll go to my deathbed on this one. For Cowboys fans, they might not like the, the mistake the Cowboys made was not giving Zeke the extension. The, the mistake was drafting him four overall because once you draft a guy that high, you have to sign him to a second contract. It, you know, and I don't think it was a mistake drafting Zeke necessarily. He's performed well, but again, when you look at the value of the position and what you're going to be getting, Jalen Ramsey's going to play 12 years in this league at a high level. You know, who knows how much longer Zeke has. Uh, going forward right 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 yeah that's very very true all right see you were right i'm glad we kept going there we go yeah we learned <laughs> thanks guys that was cool well thank you hopefully Jocker, hopefully Jocker read my story yeah we'll find wow. out i'm gonna ask him about it next week when we're talking to you and he'll be like oh what huh uh, he'll just read it you, before bro. i come on next week and act like he read it. i got you bro trust me all right all right, Todd Archer, man, we appreciate it. Yep. Right, you know, see you. There he is. That is Todd Archer. Always fantastic to chat with him. And, you know, man, it's interesting because I did want to bring up Emmett, and it's fun that we did that with Todd. And it's just, you look at that number and you go back. I mean, anybody who's a Cowboys fan, you remember that day. And, and the 20th anniversary is on Thursday. It's October 27th, obviously, when he had that run into the history books. And, it, broke the all-time record that Walter Payton had set at the time 16,006 or excuse me 16,726 and Emmett breaks it was 16,727 finishes with the 18,355 and it's wild because I think all of us thought with Adrian Peterson I mean you we forget before he had his knee injury Adrian Peterson had had that one year where he missed a little bit of time and had a short year, but he was so dominant. He, he had almost broken the all-time single-season rush record. There was really no reason to think anything. Then he has that knee injury, comes back the next year and puts up almost 1,500, and he's still 4,000 yards short because, again, some of the crap that he ran into legally and all that at the end of his career, and it, it's, it's, that's one of the things that drives me nuts when people say the greatest running back of all time is Barry Sanders. Because to me, it's always going to be Emmett. Because, okay, so Barry was great for however long that he played, but he quit. Like, he gave up and he didn't, he couldn't keep it. I don't think Emmett gets enough appreciation for how he stayed healthy, how long he was able to consistently do it. And how, I mean, he did it so long at the level that he did it at. I don't know why that doesn't get more appreciation. Well, he was still, and I think it's a big deal, he was still good. Uh, basically until he was 32 because uh, he had 1,021 yards at 32. But but he scored nine touchdowns and averaged 4.1. That's legit, you know. Um, uh, no, that was 31. Let me go to that. 32, he averaged 3.9. He scored three touchdowns, but he still had 1,000 yards on 261 carries. And 3.9 is still a, a solid um, average per carry. Solid, it's not spectacular, but it's solid. And so, dog, he was um, he was still good into his thirties, and to me, that was the whole key. Uh, and that's you know, think about it. We're talking about we act like Zeke is like done over the hill, and Zeke literally just turned twenty-seven. 
Yeah, man. I mean, that that's what is so crazy about it. And and when you look at Emmett, I mean, the fact that he went from 1991 to 2001, 11 seasons in which he accumulated over 15,000 yards and never dipped below 1,000 is, I mean, that's just incredible. That's absolutely incredible that you had a guy who put that streak together of consistently playing in which he played in a minimum of 14 games in pretty much every season was playing 16 games. Well, how about this? He had 11,000-yard seasons, and nine of those he had at least 1,200. And so it wasn't like he was squeaking in. And he had four seasons with uh, or six seasons with more than 1,300. So he was, you know, he was that dude, man. Uh, consistency, that was his name because he's always around 4.2. matter of fact, I was going to say 4.2. His career average is 4.2. Um, so he was, uh, I mean, Emmett Smith was greatness, man. Wasn't flashy greatness, but he was greatness, uh, because of that durability and that consistency. Yeah. And, and, and to me, it's, everybody wants to say it was Barry. Well, Barry had played, he would have broken it. He would have gotten it. We don't know because he was 30 years old when he retired. Would he have aged at, on into 31 and 32 and, and done something more at, even past that? Maybe he would have, but we don't know because he didn't have the drive to do it anymore. So I, I don't know. That's always been one of those things. I think you have to appreciate how Emmett just hung around and kept going and had that consistency as long as he had it. So, But I remember that. I remember when he broke it, how amazing that was. And, you know, having a cowboy that has that record that – I, unless we go through another generation and, and somehow football changes again, and, and I don't know that this would be, I mean, this this is like probably after Emmett Smith has passed, that the game would go back and revert into more of a running game. I don't see how that ever happened. No, it would be, uh, I just don't see it because it's an evolutionary thing. Um, and there's no reason for the game right. to ever go back. Because all the rules have been designed to help you run. I mean, help you pass the ball and throw yeah. the ball and create more excitement. Uh, so I don't think it's ever going back. Uh, the only thing that'll happen is there'll be some, you know, generational talent who comes through and maybe he goes and becomes that one running team and, you know, something like that happens. But, you know, the, the reality of it is, you know, the high schools and the colleges take after the NFL. And so the fewer running backs there yep. are in the NFL, just the fewer running backs there are at every level. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's even like somebody like Derrick Henry, who's had a couple of just phenomenal seasons back-to-back. But even Derrick Henry, like when he came into the league, they didn't use him right away. Then all of a sudden, he's 28 this year, and he's coming off a year in which he had an injury. You know, and, and, and it, you have to have, one, you got to have luck. You got to have good health. And it's just, I just, it's, it's, one, it's like the Cy Young record to me. Nobody in baseball ever is going to have 511 career wins. It's just, it's not, no one's even going to sniff that. And no. I honestly don't know that anybody sniffs what Emmett Smith put together. I don't think so, man. I think it's, it's too far out there. I thought, bro, I was looking at Barry Sanders' stats. So I was like, oh my They're God. They're insane. I mean, he was like way, I mean, he was dominant the entire I mean, time he, he was Averaged 99.8 yards a game in 151 starts. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, he was the best running back when he was in the league, but I'm still giving it to him at all time. Most rushing touchdowns, most rushing yards. He did it longer. I don't know what to tell you. Plus, I'm biased, so sucks for you Detroit fans. 
<laughs> now the truth comes out. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, you know, it is interesting. I was thinking about that the other day when you talk about some of these records and everything. And I don't know how many people, I meant to bring this up in the block, but I'll just throw it out here before we wrap it up. Have you seen the documentary that's on Netflix called Facing Nolan? Uh, no, I have not. I watched it the other day. It's about an hour and a half long, and it is the story of Nolan Ryan. And man, we forget how unbelievably dominant Nolan Ryan was and how the fact was that he he pitched for 27 years. You know, all the strikeout records that he has, the no-hitters and all that, and just kind of going back through that and listening to all these different guys talk about what it was like to face Nolan and all that type of thing. And, you know, Nolan and Emmett were similar to me where you might say there was a better pitcher than than Nolan, much like you might say Barry Sanders was a better running back. But when it comes to like that greatest power pitcher of all time, how could you say there was there was anybody better than Nolan? Just because he did it for so long with such consistency, and with it, 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 there's something to that. Well, check this out. I was just I just called the stats up like right quick, but it's Nolan Ryan pitches 27 years in the big leagues, all right, which is you know insane in and of it by itself. But to me, the strikeouts are crazy. It, they're ridiculous. But dog, but dog, he pitched 27 years. Yeah, and his ERA was 3.19. <laughs> yeah man i mean it's like that's that's i mean dude that's something special right there i mean his strikeouts you know the 383 the seven no hitters he has like 900 and whatever more strikeouts than anybody that's ever played the game and again when you put it in perspective remember randy johnson was like a beast for like a decade or 12 yeah. years of his career and he, he can't even sniff Nolan Ryan. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because he's in this. Like Randy Johnson is in this documentary and talking about Nolan a couple of times and kind of even talks about that, like thinking like I had a really good career and struck out a lot of guys and I'm nine hundred and something strikeouts behind where Nolan is. <laughs> it's just yeah. one of those things, man. I mean, that that type of longevity, when you can do it as long as he did it, it it's Yeah, there's something to it. That. How long did Randy Johnson pitch? Man, I would guess twenty guess. seasons. You're right, 22. How about that? Yeah, and and you think about that. I mean, again, there's something. It's to be that good that long. It's impressive. And he was still good, uh, pretty much until his last year. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was very good. Randy Johnson was a beast, man. Like that dude won 17 games at 42 years old. Yeah, it's. And, and I mean, I remember when the Rangers signed Nolan Ryan. And then there's some behind-the-scenes stuff, like George Bush is in this and Tom Grieven stuff, and you just listen to them talk about that and, and how they were able to bring Nolan to the Rangers. You know, I, I remember when Nolan went into the Hall of Fame. I was in college. I think it was the class of 99, if I recall off the top of my head. And he was the first ever Ranger to wear a Texas Rangers hat into the Hall of Fame. And that was like a huge deal to me because I could, I mean, growing up a Rangers fan, I was like, we'll, we'll never have a guy in the Hall of Fame. You know, much like I'd accepted, we'll never play for the World Series, we'll never have a Hall of Famer. And him being the first to do it, and it was just that time in his career when he came to Texas where he was at that point where th- the 300th career win, the 5,000th strikeout, no hitters six and seven, all that stuff happened as a Ranger because he was at the end of his career. And yeah, probably those last couple of seasons, maybe he went too long. But man, when he first came to Texas, he was still pretty damn good. Oh, no, he's terrific. And, you know, it's all about legitimacy for him, man. 
and uh, and what he gave the Rangers. And you know, it's when you have a um, a franchise like the Rangers, who really at that point never accomplished anything. It's just yeah. a cool thing when you have a player that the nation cares about. I mean, it's like us with the Mavericks. Mavericks for so many years had really good players, but nobody that the nation cared about. And then Dirk rolled up, and then they didn't care about him until, you know, closer to the end in the beginning. But then when you get a guy like Luca, where everybody's in on him, you're like, yeah, he belongs to us, bitches. Yeah, man, and it's wonderful. It is wonderful. I mean, it really, and no one was really that first guy for the Texas Rangers. I mean, look at that. 42 years old, his first season as a Ranger, 16 and 10, a 3-2 ERA, and he led the majors in strikeouts with 301. And the dude's 42. And the crazy thing about it, Nolan never won a Cy Young Award, which is just unbelievable. Never won a Cy Young Award. Interesting. Yeah. The only year, the, the year he got closest when he finished second, Jim Palmer won it, despite the fact Nolan set the record for 383 strikeouts and had a 2.9 ERA or whatever it was. Dang. But it's cool. I mean, it's really worth it. It really brings back a lot of memories of kind of those Astros teams in the 80s and obviously the Rangers and whatnot. And it's a cool documentary with Nolan Ryan. So if you were a Nolan fan, it's worth watching called Facing Nolan. But that, my friends, is... Oh, yes. before you go there, I was yes. going to tell you one thing about Nolan. What is it? He came up last week arbitrarily because Deion Sanders was talking to a few players about being consistent and playing football. He's like, you got to keep your emotions... You got to let your emotions go, but you can't go too much. And he goes, you know, I didn't really know how to do that. And in baseball, baseball taught me how to be consistent. He goes, cuz, now this is where Nolan Ryan comes up. He goes, cuz, you can't go three for four and think you're the baddest man on the planet and everybody got to bow to you. He's telling his his guys, he goes, because next night you got to face somebody like Nolan Ryan. And then he goes, y'all don't know nothing about Nolan Ryan. Google him. And he goes, because then you'll go 0 for 4 and strike out four times. That's awesome. Yeah, man. And, and yeah, he's – no one was – it's weird because you look at him as, like, one of the great Rangers, even though he was only in Texas for five years. But just the impact and the idea that somebody of that stature wanted to come play in Texas was, at the time, being a, a 10-, 11-year-old kid when he signed with the Rangers, I mean, it just blew your mind. You couldn't believe we had uh, Nolan Ryan. And I got a chance. My, I remember going – I saw him pitch twice – right there at the end of his career he's either 92 or 93 I might have seen him once each season before he retired and I've always thought that was cool to be able to say you know I got a chance I saw Nolan Ryan pitch in person no doesn't get much better than that it doesn't so there it is friends we'll be back another episode coming your way on Friday so be ready for that we'll dive into the the Bears and the Cowboys again and give you our prediction on the game I hope you all have a great couple of days and we'll talk to you soon thanks for listening to the jam session podcast make sure to find us on instagram at jam session cast of course you can also find us on twitter at mcmatt radio and at jjt underscore journalist our podcast is sponsored by greening law a personal injury law firm in dallas texas greening law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.